Blog Talk Radio. pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that I don't think I've ever written about or talked about on the show, and in 10 years of shows, (laughs) that's kind of an accomplishment uh, to find something brand new to talk about today. So uh, I wanted to go ahead and preface that because sometimes when I do something new, it does feel a little weird to me. because uh, I usually use lots of things that I've written about before and presented on and talked about. But today we're going to be talking about how to write social stories for toddlers and preschoolers and give you some guidelines for that. Now, I've used social stories a lot, but I haven't used them in the last few years. And so this is why it was so exciting for me to bring this topic back out because I have a little guy right now that I'm starting to work with that I think is a good candidate for that. And so that's why it's kind of brought this to the forefront. And I've just taken uh, an online CE course with a really nice presentation of lots of this information. And so I wanted to uh, go ahead and give credit for that, too. It's Dr. Pam Bushbacher, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but a really, really nice job with how to use social stories as a positive behavioral support for kids who who need that. So let's just kind of start with the history of social stories. And and let me tell you, if the term social story is new for you, it was originally created by a teacher named Carol Gray in the 1990s to help increase predictability for the students that she was working with in her public school classroom in Michigan. And so she taught kids with autism, and she noticed that they responded super well to visual supports and when new information was presented in a story-like format. And I have seen really, really good luck with using little social stories with my friends too, uh, my little caseload over the years. And let me just say too that lots of educators and therapists use the term social story as a generic kind of term, which I have fallen into. But if you go to Dr. Uh, Gray's or Carol Gray's website, you'll see that she has some really specific criteria for that. And so maybe (laughs) you, like me, have used that term more uh, generally than we probably should. Her information, she actually says that there are 10 different criteria for uh, calling a story a social story. So some of our some of the things that we're going to talk about today may not even meet those guidelines, but I did sort of want to get that out of the way at the very, very beginning. You know, other titles or other names that we can give social stories, and I think they're more accurately uh, described in this way as a routine book or a rule book. And so maybe if you're uncomfortable with using a trademark term like social stories, especially if you don't feel like you may be meeting the criteria, that might be another way to kind of talk about it, routine, routine scripts or a rule book. And certainly as therapists or as educators, you may want to look at how you're using that terminology and make sure that you are using it correctly as well. All right, there are tons of fantastic websites 
that have information about social stories, so you can certainly do some Googling on your own if you want more information after today's show. And then Pinterest just has a wealth of information if you're still doing a lot on Pinterest and want to get some additional ideas there. But what are social stories if this is a brand new thing for you? Now, social stories are written in a special format, and so they're little short stories that we write specifically to address usually a topic or an event that produces a challenging behavior in a child. (laughs) And so you really wouldn't write a social story for just a run-of-the-mill event that's going really, really well because in in a way you think, why would I divert my therapy time to this or my mommy time? Why would I worry about this routine if it's not going very, very well or if it's already going very well? And so we really want to think about using these kinds of, this tool for the kinds of situations that kids find difficult or find confusing or, again, when we are just having lots and lots of challenges with how they are responding and how they are reacting during um, events that that don't typically ruffle feathers like they would in a typically developing toddler. So things like getting a haircut, things like going to the dentist. And we'll talk about some other even more practical uses or practical situations for uh, using social stories too. But again, this tool is evidence-based, meaning that there's research to support it, and you can get all kinds of information about that at Carol Gray's website, which again, I don't know if I gave that already, but it's Carol Gray, and that's gray with an A-Y, socialstories.com, and I'll link this on my website at Teach Me to Talk if you want to look at that and look at some of the other references that I'll include there. But it is evidence-based practice, and not just for little guys, not just for toddlers and preschoolers, but actually all the way through adulthood is this um, strategy effective, particularly for working with kids who are visual learners. And so certainly our little friends who have red flags for autism or who have already been diagnosed with autism will certainly fall in this category. Now let me say, I've also used little social stories to uh, really, I guess, engage or entice little friends who were hyperlexic as well. So kids who could read already and who were two and three and reading way early, but again because of their super cognitive and visual strengths are able to do that. But the problem with that is social stories in that context are usually an introduction to what you want to do because so many times children with um, hyperlexia or who, again, have that just uncanny ability to read at a really, really young age don't always comprehend what they're reading. And so when I've used it with little guys like that, it's to get them interested and to get them with me and engaged with me so that we can begin to talk about the situation. It's almost a way to introduce a situation, maybe a routine that they're struggling with. I remember years and years ago I used a social story with a little girl who did not like to brush her teeth. She had so many oral sensitivities that she just had strong adverse reactions to that, meaning that she just had total meltdowns. And that was becoming a real problem uh, just from a hygiene perspective for her parents. They, you know, we're anticipating that, you know, I can't let this go when she's two. I can't I can't say it's okay for her not to brush her teeth, even though she's upset and uncomfortable and even though this becomes just a fight at our house every day, this is something we have to do. It's not okay not to brush your teeth. 
And so we used a little social story that way. And she was on the spectrum and was doing some early reading. But, again, it's a way to really introduce the vocabulary. It's a way to start to talk about it in a very gentle way um, instead of kind of coming down with that behavioral approach, you know, we're going to brush your teeth or else. Or And it's also a good adjunct to any other strategy that you would be using with your sensory-based uh, strategies, like for this little girl, if she had lots and lots of movement and lots and lots of advanced uh, warning, <laughs> she could tolerate toothbrushing a lot better. And that's where the social story comes in, because we were able to use that as part of her little protocol at home for what her mom would do to get her ready to brush her teeth. Now, some of you who are parents may be listening and thinking, you know, or rolling your eyes about now, saying, oh, I don't want to go to that much trouble. I don't, I don't want to have to do something like this. That seems like a whole, uh, this would be a lot of work for me. Don't necessarily assume that because social stories, again, are so easy to do and they're so specific to your child. And I know that once you use it, you know, it's not a strategy that works for every kid, but once you start to use it and if, and if it does work for your child, the time that you invest in learning how to do these correctly and then learning how to really, really use these as an effective strategy will so pay off because it will make things hopefully run a lot smoother in your home. Now, therapists listening to this, if you haven't thought of it, if you've been like me and have left this tool unused in your strategy bag for a long time, I hope that you'll start to think about it. And again, especially for our little guys who are really, really visual learners. And let me just say for parents who might be listening that You've never really thought about the term visual learner before. What's a visual learner? It's a kid who had, who likes books, a kid who likes to watch videos, a kid who loves his TV shows. So, And it might be a kid who just gets lots of input from visual stimulation anyway, so kids who like to look at wheels that spin or who really seek out fans or who just put their little faces, you know, one inch away from your phone. You know, they really like that strong, intense visual input. And those are kids that typically do better with uh, social stories, especially as toddlers and especially when there are language delays. And let me just say a caveat for that. When you're writing these social stories, you've got to, uh, the child that you're using for it, because this is a very individualistic and specific strategy that is really tailored to a child. So you really can't pull a story off the Internet. I mean, you certainly can. Google social stories for whatever situation that you're coming up with with a child. You certainly can do that. But my experience has been the more personalized it can be, the better. And so you want to keep that in mind, too. But just in case uh, the, the term, again, visual learner is or visual strength is, is um, you know, new for you, I wanted to be sure to bring that up and talk about um, you know, the, the caveat here is that they have that strength, but they also probably have um, if, if the kids that we're talking about on this show are also language delayed. So there's something that's missing or disordered, meaning that it's atypical with how their language skills are developing. So we have to keep that in mind, too, when we're writing these stories, and we have to always adjust the way that we write this story and the language that we're using to match where a child is currently functioning. And so that, that can be a little hard for parents sometimes, too, because you want to write this 
maybe long, complicated storybook where and, and you just practically set yourself up for failure from the beginning because you're not considering a child's attention span or his language level and you're making it way too complicated. So simpler is always better with social stories, and we'll get into that. I'm sort of jumping ahead of myself, but I wanted to uh, mention that right from the beginning. So let's see. Let's talk about now some examples of social stories. So we might have school topics, which would be anything that happen, would happen at school. It might be, you know, how they get to school, riding the bus, or if a kid is, you know, has a hard time getting ready to go in the morning. So I remember writing a social story about this years and years ago when I was doing home visits for a little guy, and that was something that <laughs> was really, really challenging for parents in the mornings, getting him to, you know, pulled away from the TV or whatever they had let him do you know, eating his breakfast and really getting ready, you know, getting his clothes on, getting his shoes on, getting his backpack and his coat and getting into the car ready to go. So that might be a thing. So anything related to school, it might be taking turns um, and with any kind of toy or it might be taking turns during a particular routine at school. Let's say if he's a child is obsessed with trains and there's a unit on trains and he doesn't want to share the trains. A teacher might have a social story about that, about, you know, taking turns with my friends or something like that. Uh, I had a little guy who would really, really, really have a hard time any time he heard the fire alarm. So we had to write a story about, a little social story about that and really practice and really rehearse and think about that. And it wasn't just me doing the social story with the child. It's having parents really read it with him and talk to parents, and that's one of the steps that we'll get to in a minute, but certainly his teachers were involved at that. So any kind of challenge, like think about the, the just array of topics that you might be able to pull from, anything that a child is having difficulty with during his preschool day or daycare day. Anything at home that might be a challenging behavior. We've already talked about my little friend who had a really hard time uh, brushing her teeth. I've done social stories for kids who had new siblings who were having a hard time adjusting. Had a little girl, uh, oh gosh, this was probably, I want to say close to 25 years ago now, a little girl with selective mutism. And so we had to write a social story about talking to people. But it started with... uh, her home routines and how, you know, even just in the backyard with her little neighbors and things, how how she could start to uh, use her words to talk to them. So any kind of thing. It might be a new routine that's coming up. Maybe your child's about to have a birthday party or go to a birthday party, and you anticipate that that might be a challenge for him because of his uh, sensory needs. He might You might anticipate that he's going to be overwhelmed with the number of children that are there or because it's an unfamiliar place. Or, you know, it could be something at home like taking medicine. My daughter, who's turning 23, had a really hard time taking medicine when she was a little girl. And so we did some of this kind of thing at home with her. And it might be something like a community outing. So I've mentioned going to the dentist, going to the doctor. Waiting in line at the store can be a really... Big, big deal for some of our little friends. So anything that you're thinking of that, oh, my goodness, my child has such a hard time with this, I'm not sure what else I should try. Or, uh, you know, again, as a therapist, when when a mom is saying to you, you know, this is my problem. I cannot cut his fingernails. Can you please help me come up with some ways to cut his fingernails? Now, 
as speech pathologists, we would say, you know, immediately jump to sensory strategies and we'll say, let's talk to the OT about it or let's, you know, bring in blah, 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 blah. When social stories sometimes are enough that we can give children enough preparation and enough practice with reviewing the story with positive responses and positive reactions. And, again, sometimes it becomes just removed enough with a book that you've written just for this individualized situation. It's just removed enough from the the just the real-life experience of the event. You're talking about it instead of living it. And, again, it gives enough time so that a child has time to process what will happen and understand what will happen. And, again, things that have been confusing or alarming for a child – Start to calm down because you're giving them some additional experience and some additional ways to deal with that. All right, so let me read the definition of social story from Carol Gray's website too because if you're a real academic person, you'll appreciate this. But even for those of us who are more uh, geared toward real-life language and everyday words, we can still benefit from this uh, definition. But a social story accurately describes a context, a skill, an achievement or a concept according to 10 defining criteria. And that's when I I said earlier that sometimes all of our stories that we're using as everyday therapists may not fit into, we may not have every one of those. But the criteria includes that we'll do research and development about the problem and uh, certainly some things with implementation to ensure an overall supportive quality and the patience is really, really required from the adult who's writing the story and implementing these strategies. And certainly there's a certain voice that social stories have, and it's super, super positive. We try not to say what we try to stay away from you know, totally directive stories, and we'll talk about the different sentence types that we use in a minute, or things that are overly, um, that just sound so negative. You know, there's certainly a voice that a social story has that it's written from a child's perspective. And I'll read you some social stories as we go on through the show so you can start to get an idea of how these things should sound. But what we're really trying to create here is an environment of emotional safety. And I love to think about uh, a social story or anything that I do with a child in that context in that we want children to feel comfortable and to not be afraid and to not, for lack of a better word, freak out with some of these day-to-day challenges that they're experiencing. And so certainly, and, and again, even young adults with autism and teenagers can certainly benefit from this strategy as well because you are giving them that additional experience to help them process and understand and plan their responses and plan what they're part of that, which, again, requires a behavioral change. And all of us know that behavioral changes are difficult. (laughs) You as a mom or dad or as a therapist, think about maybe something in your life right now that you want to change. Maybe you want to lose weight. Maybe you want to quit uh, smoking. Maybe there's something even a little less daunting than that. Maybe you just want to be not yell as much or not be on your phone as much. Think about how hard it is for you with breaking that habit or with creating that new habit. And that's what our little friends and our children feel like too. When we're asking them to do something that has caused them (laughs) emotional, uh, maybe not trauma, but they get upset 
upset every single time they're about to do this activity or it just falls apart or there's always a meltdown, always a tantrum, you you know that that kind of behavioral change is going to be more difficult. So we've got to provide that uh, emotional support and that walking them through it so that they can change that behavior and start to do some new things there. All right, so again, why would we go to all this trouble? I started talking about that a few minutes ago and said the time will be well worth it, but let me give you eight different reasons why routine scripts and rule books are important. And again, this is from the presentation that I referenced earlier with uh, Dr. Pam. So routine scripts and rule books enable children to understand and predict the order of events for an activity. So I really like her quote here. There's a method to the madness. So let's say a child who has a hard time getting a haircut doesn't really understand how all that's going to go down. (laughs) He doesn't really understand. First we're going to get in the van and we're going to drive to the place to get the haircut and then we're going to get out of the van and then we walk into this place maybe that he's never been before and you know just the whole routine you know first you mom tells the people that were there then we have to sit and wait and then we walk over to the chair and then I get a cape put around me and then the the nice lady comes and talks to me you know just the whole step by step by step and so when children understand what's going to come next and they've had that prior experience of reading about that event or that outing and really becoming familiar with it. But So then they do know what to expect. Everything isn't a big surprise or a big ambush is how a child might feel during that kind of situation. So that's the first reason that, that this kind of tool can be so important. Next, they serve as scaffolds for the child's active participation in the activity, meaning that scaffolding as a strategy means that we help a child. So we take what he can do and we, through our intervention and our assistance, we help him. So we provide that additional little support like a scaffold would. If you were trying to paint, you would use scaffolding or wash windows or some some other chore where you needed to be higher up at a level than you currently could get to on your own. That's what scaffolding is. And so we are helping a child get from where he currently is to where we want him to be with our assistance and with our uh, intervention that we're providing. The third reason that these kinds of stories are important is they support children in developing a meaningful vocabulary for the activity. So as a speech-language pathologist, you know, ding, 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 here's, here's my bread and butter here. This is what I'm all about is helping children understand the words that they're hearing so that they can begin to use those words to communicate. And so, so many times kids don't understand going to the dentist, what a dentist chair is, that a dentist will look in their mouths, that they will hear a loud noise uh, if they have to actually get some work done, or even just for a cleaning, you know, the, the sound of the polishing, or the, the dentist is going, they're going to uh, lie down on the chair and have to hold their mouths open for a long time. And so, again, that vocabulary, maybe some of those words are new to a child. So we really, really have to provide that prior experience so that those words do mean something. They're not just abstract. It's not the first time they're experiencing it, and they have words that accompany the events that are happening. They have labels for the new objects that they're going to be seeing and experiencing. 
The next reason that these uh, little stories are important is they can link children with different communication and interaction partners. So we talked about before, everybody in a child's life needs to be able to use this kind of book. And that's why these books are so important, too, because they really promote consistency. And so everybody's doing the routine the same way. And that's actually number eight. We'll get to that in a minute. So let's just save that thought. But different people can read the book with the child and maybe interact with the child in a different way by using this little uh, strategy. I've seen grandparents kind of light up <laughs> when we give them uh, a little script like this or a little book like this to use with the child because that's that's important to the grandparent, that they know how what, what this child is having difficulty with and that they know what are some things that I can do to make this easier because sometimes they feel at a loss. You know, they're not living with a child on a daily basis. They don't understand how these developmental delays really impact everyday life. So books like this can be extremely helpful for new people to understand what's going on with the child. Routine scripts and rule books also build joint attention. Now, if you'll remember what joint attention is, is that you are both sharing the same experience. So both you and the child, the adult and the child, are actively engaged on the same topic. Now, sometimes a child will, let's just take a book example, will be flipping through a book and getting tons of visual stimulation, and you may be sitting there trying to read to him, but he does not care that you are talking. He does not care that you are with him. And even though you are talking about what he's paying attention to, the joint piece is missing, meaning that he's not necessarily or he's not including you in that activity at all. So when you're sharing the experience and doing it together comprises joint attention, is that both of you are paying attention to and uh, actively engage with each other and that additional object. And so certainly a social story or a routine script can uh, be like that because you're both looking at the same information and you're both engaged in that, you're both interacting with that, you're both talking about the same thing and paying attention to the same thing. The next way that these little books are important is that it enables children to remember the most predictable features of whatever is about to go on, the event or the activity, and it provides an outline. And so we, we think about what's really, really important there. You know, what is going on here? Who are the people involved? Where will this take place? When does this happen? What will we be doing? So we'll talk more about that when we talk about writing the social story. But again, a, a child's ability to understand what comes next really, really affects his positive participation in a task. So if a child can <laughs> know what to expect when he goes to the doctor that he's about to get uh, you know, a couple of shots, sometimes that can really, really make things go back, go better behaviorally because, again, it's not that ambush. It's not that big, big surprise. Now, some parents think, oh, no, I don't want to talk about it ahead of time because then I have to deal with him being upset about this now and later. That's not really true. And think about you, how uneasy you feel when you're doing something that you've never, ever done before or something that you've done before that you know is stressful. If, if flying is stressful for you, then think about just how anxious you feel as you're driving to the airport and how just uh, nervous you start to get when you think, oh, do I have everything I need? Can I, where's my luggage? Where, where's my boarding pass? Do I have my, uh, my passport or my driver's license? 
Oh, am I on time? Oh, my goodness, is the line going to be long? And just think about all those things that can make you anxious along the way. And if, and especially if you've never if you've had such limited experience before with that event or, or the only one or two times that you've done it previously have been a disaster. Can you imagine how upset you would be if you knew that were going to happen again and, you ha- and nothing had changed? You had done nothing to make that situation better. And see, social stories give us an avenue to provide the change and provide what could make this better and, and, and bring in all of those factors and make all of this not so scary because things are known now versus unknown. So think about that too. And if you're a therapist and you have a te- or a teacher and you have a family that you're going to do this with, or let's say a teacher that you think, mm, I don't know, I don't know how she's going to buy into this. I don't know. I anticipate that they may not fully embrace this as a strategy. Use some of these ideas. Ask them what might be uncomfortable for them, or what you know, some some kind of situation that as that we face as adults that they might be more anxious about. And, again, this is kind of a touchy-feely strategy. <laughs> Not every adult needs you to really bring it down to their level and, and get them to uh, you know, give them something that's, that's really relevant for them. But sometimes that, that helps, and it certainly can help a parent. And I like to use those kinds of examples with parents, even if I think, oh, you know, he doesn't really need this much explanation, but, I, you know, it's, you know, a dad maybe that I'm dealing with. But then I think, you know, but if I do this with him, then he might be able to do this with this child's grandparents or the babysitter or, you know, uncle so-and-so that only comes that has no clue how to deal with maybe some of the uh, challenges that the family uh, family might face with a toddler with autism or a, a preschooler with a significant language delay. And so sometimes when we use these examples with parents and we when we kind of go out of our way to personalize it for them, even if they don't really, really need that to embrace the strategy and want to use it for their child, they're then able to take that information and use it with someone else. And who and it might be their you know, it might be the best thing that you do for them as a therapist is giving them a way to talk about this with somebody else in their family or or another provider or another, just someone else that they have to deal with who's maybe not as compassionate or who just needs more education or more information about their child's uh, learning style or the difficulties they're facing. So that's certainly some some. Thing that you may consider too. Um, another benefit of using a routine script or a rule book is that it enables children to identify optional features. So what do I mean by that? That means you're going to give them something new to do <laughs> that helps them feel more comfortable, more confident, a different reaction, a new way to understand what's happening with the situation that's previously uh, been such a challenge for them. So instead of, let's say that riding the school bus has been a problem, that they really don't um, haven't known that the rule is that you sit in your seat the whole time. And, again, somebody might have told them that over and over and over, and you're getting complaints every day from school that your child will not sit on the school bus, you know, he, that, um, that it's just problematic. Sometimes using a strategy like this very, very consistently does impact a child in that he understands, well, this is the expectation, this is what I'm supposed to do. And again, you're using the social story in um, 
times before they ride the bus. So, again, that behavioral expectation, that positive behavioral expectation is already set for them. So that certainly is a benefit. And then we already talked about the, the last one, the eighth benefit here, is it encourages adults and others to perform routines in the same manner. So we can be really consistent and, again, really, really predictable, which is how uh, lots of toddlers and preschoolers with autism, that's their learning preference. They like repetition. They like predictability. They like their routines. And we as adults are often like that as well. I mean, I don't know about you, but I certainly, um, you know, let's think about a place that you go all the time. Let's, like church, do you sit in the same place all the time in church? You know, I certainly do. Do we get upset if somebody, and upset may be too strong a word, but if you see somebody sitting in your place, don't you feel like, oh, I don't get to sit there today? We do because we all crave uh, comfort and crave that familiarity and that expectation of things are going to happen like I think they're going to happen. And so when adults can use a routine story or a social story or a routine script or rule book and really, really make things the same for a child, again, that's very, very comforting and can certainly make what could be an upsetting time Really, really easier for everyone involved. All right, so let us talk about the guidelines for writing social stories here. And again, you can be, <laughs> you can make them as elaborate or as complex as you want to, but for toddlers and preschoolers with language delays, I always think about going as simple as I can at the beginning, and then we can always add. Because sometimes it's harder, you know, if you write a 20-page social story and you realize you're losing a kid on page three or four, you'll never get to your intended outcome, which is to get all the way through the routine. So think about keeping it really, really simple. And one of the biggest things is determining your problem and only have one event or one topic per social story. And it should be super, super simple and super clear so that the child understands from the beginning what you're talking about. And so the title is really, really important for your social story, too. And it needs to say exactly what it's about. So if it's um, having a birthday party or going to your friend's birthday party, that's what your title would be, going to Ben's birthday party. If, you're, if your child has a friend named Ben and his birthday is in three or four weeks and you know that the last time you tried to take him to... <laughs> a crazy kid's place like, you know, Gaddyland or whatever little gym place you have where you live, that that didn't go very well. You know, you want to make it super, super specific. Resist the urge to go general because sometimes then you kind of miss the boat and you don't really uh, get the results that you want to get because you haven't explained things and made it as specific as you need to be. So think about what is the one thing that we're trying to teach. The second pointer here is to do your homework. <laughs> So this is your prep information. So for therapists you, who, let's say that you have a mom who's saying, gosh, you know, I can never get my, my child to want to get in the bathtub. You know, she is so scared of that. She is so scared of water. And so you have to really interview the mom to figure out what does scared of water mean for this child. Does it mean that she doesn't like the sound? Does it mean that she doesn't like being wet? You know what? What constitutes scared for her? How? What kind of? How is mom saying? 
why is mom saying that she's scared? So you've really got to interview parents and really talk about what the problem is and talk about what they're seeing and exactly how the child is reacting. And so you've got to gather all the information that you need before you write your, your story here because you've got to understand exactly what's going on. And just with an example like the bath, Sometimes what you think about as a therapist is the problem is not what a parent is referring to at all. Or maybe mom has a different perception of what's going on than dad does with that or that than the sitter does. And maybe the sitter is giving you information that sort of contradicts what mom and dad say. Well, that's usually because they're doing the routine completely different. So you have to figure out what everybody's saying about the same problem so that you can incorporate these different perspectives and incorporate um, maybe even different facets of the problem, or maybe maybe a routine's going well for somebody and it's not going well for somebody else. Well, you need to figure out what's going right, and that's your social story. You know, that's how you would frame this whole thing, but you would never know that until you interviewed and talked with and discussed uh, the problem with uh, who all the the important participants are. So sometimes, too, what's missing or what's happening in some of these situations is that a child doesn't have a prerequisite skill. And you you understand just from talking to a parent, oh, that's the problem here. You know, he doesn't, let's say, Mom thinks that, you know, mealtime goes terrible, but it's because he doesn't really, she's expecting him to be able to feed himself. Or let's say, let's don't use a mom there, that's a bad example. Let's say it's the babysitter or the daycare teacher, and she's saying mealtime is terrible. All he does is throw his utensils, and he doesn't, and you realize, gosh, he, he only finger feeds. No wonder this is a disaster, because she's expecting him to do something that developmentally he can't do yet. And so sometimes just that, that gathering that information and being a detective from the beginning can really, really help because then you'll understand exactly what uh, is going wrong there. And if you need to teach a skill or if you need to adjust uh, these expectations that someone may be having for a child, you know, you might uh, you might have a parent who says, I can never get a kid to, him to sit down and read a book with me. And you think, well, gosh, he reads books with me all the time in therapy. What's the problem? And it, unless you were talking with the mom about what she's trying to read to him, maybe she is trying to get him to listen to a chapter book or, or something, you know, and again, that's an outlandish example. But it could it could happen, you know, and you, you're not, uh, unless you know what's going wrong and exactly what, What's happening during the routine, you won't know how to address it. And so be sure that you're you're asking the right questions. If you can, as a therapist, you need to observe the child participating in this situation and participating in this event. Now, we can't always do that. You can't always, as a therapist, go to the pediatrician's office with a child who freaks out every time he has to go to the doctor. That's not realistic, but you can ask lots and lots of questions. And there are some routines that you can see what's happening. You know, if mom says she just will not let me brush her hair when it's wet, as a therapist, even as a speech therapist, we can say, well, let's wash her hair and let's see what happens. Let's just show me. I've got to see this. Or videos. You could have mom use her phone and take a video of, of the routine and see what's happening for yourself if you if it's not always practical for you to be there so that you can see exactly, again, uh, what's going down <laughs> so that you can adjust your strategies and then adjust your story to encompass 
all of the things that are happening. Now, the next thing you'll need to do after you have all your information, you've determined your problem, you did your homework ahead of time to decide what all is happening and what should happen, what what we want to happen during the routine, you understand what's going wrong, then you begin to write and edit the story. Now, be sure that you're using the right kind of language, and we talked about that a little bit. So you want to match the story to a child's comprehension level, so where they currently are, meaning what they understand when the story is read to them. Another thing that's super, super helpful is to write the story in first or third person from the child's point of view. So you can use I sentences, which are really, really effective. You know, Let's say we're doing the story about uh, getting on the bus. You know, I get my backpack and I wait at the door with my mom or whatever. So you're using I there. Sometimes, and especially if a child is a toddler and they're not using their own name, they're, they're not using pronouns yet, they're still using their own names, you might say the child's name. You know, Logan gets his shoes and his jacket. Then Logan puts on his backpack, and again, you're using the child's name in the story, and that might be uh, really, really important for some children and really, really help them understand, especially kids who have those language delays who might be struggling with pronouns. So that's certainly something to think about, too. Other kinds of sentences and other kinds of ways to write the script for the story. Now, my best directions for this were from autismparentingmagazine.com, and the post is called Social Stories for Autistic Children. And the, let me get to this, these directives. I'm sorry, I'm having scrolling issues with my computer here. So there are different kinds of sentences that we want to include in, the, in our little social stories. First of all, we write the stories in that sentence, short sentences, and there are seven basic sentences that are usually used when we're constructing these kinds of stories. So the first thing would be uh, descriptive sentences. So these sentences usually tell what's happening, so the what part. So um, you're describing the event. So these are the facts. These are what's observed, and they're free from assumptions or opinions, and they are what it would be used to identify the most important factors in a social situation. So, for example, um, when I play with blocks, I have to share blocks with my friends. And again, that might be too long of a sentence for some of our little toddlers with language delays, but you get my point here. You are describing what is happening in the situation. The next kind of sentence would be perspective sentences, and this is what would describe or, or take into account a child, how, what a child is thinking and what a child is feeling or um, describing what's happening. You know, my brother likes to play with my toys sometimes. That makes me sad. Or I get up, sometimes I get upset when my brother plays with my toys. Or my brother, my sister, um, my sister wants mommy to hold her too. That can make me upset. You know, those kinds of things, or I get upset when that happens, those kinds of sentences that really state what that child is feeling. And don't shy away from that. Don't think that, oh, when I write that, that just 
gives her approval. That I'm like saying it's okay for her to act angry or be mad or whatever. You know, here's the deal. We cannot control anybody else's emotions. <laughs> we can externally help a child learn how to regulate their emotions, but you really can't make a child not feel sad or you can't make a child you know instantaneously turn them in from you know tears on the floor when they are really upset into pure joy just by reading this book it's not going to happen so perspective sentences are really really important because you are acknowledging the child's feelings there the next kind of sentence is a directive sentence and these sentences present or suggest what you want to happen. So really positive. An example might be, I will brush my teeth after every meal. So something, you know, I will sit quietly as I ride the bus. Um, I will, and we don't like to say a lot of negatives here, but I will not bite my friend when he makes me mad. So, again, the, the direction there, the, this is the positive what you want to happen. And so... Or I will use nice hands when I share my toys. So you're stating there that desired outcome for the behavior. Now, um, control sentences, these are sentences that a child might use after, and this really probably refers to older toddlers or preschoolers or children even older than that. These are how children, these are the scripts, the internal scripts or even um audible scripts that they use, the things that they will say to help them learn how they're supposed to react or what they're supposed to do in a situation. And this is what really, really helps them recall and use the information that you're teaching in the social story. So um, I need to brush my teeth to keep them healthy. Or I need to use nice hands because Ian is my friend or what, whatever. Again, you'll come up with whatever specific that your child needs to have uh, for every situation then. But you're, you're giving them the reason. You're giving them why they're using that new behavior in the place of that, uh, what they're currently doing. Affirmative sentences are the next kind of sentence. And these are sentences that are used to reinforce the meaning of what you've said. And, again, this may not be as important for toddlers as it is for older children, but you are, again, helping them understand the why. It, like the example that we've been using about brushing your teeth, you know, it's very important to have healthy teeth. And, again, that's above where a toddler would be. But we want to think about that with uh, just affirming that positive behavior. And it certainly is something, after we've used these stories over and over with kids, I do hear my little friends using this kind of language and saying these kinds of things. You know, I will not hit my brother or <laughs> I am gentle with the new baby. You know, they do internalize these things. And so it's so, so important to think about that and think about the language that we're giving them as we're using these stories. Um, cooperative sentences, this teaches a child to realize and understand that he needs help and how other people will help him and will assist him during um, the situation. So it might be something, you know, like the getting the haircut example. It might be my mom stands right beside my chair. If I'm scared, I can hold her hand, something like that. Or my mom will help me brush my teeth. My mom holds the toothbrush too. Things that promote cooperation there, and I love using that during social stories because sometimes that's the problem. Children are really, really resistant 
to the intervention that we're helping them with. So when we include that as a part of the story, it often helps them understand what the adult's role is there and helps them participate and accept that a little bit better. And then one of my la- one of my favorite parts of a social story as a speech language pathologist is using a partial sentence. So this would be like a carrier phrase or a fill in the blank. And we call this the close method, meaning that we will just say the beginning part of the sentence and a child fills in the rest. And this is sort of what happens over time with the social story anyway, is that we read it so much and we use it so much that a child begins to tell the story on his own. And so this is sort of what helps that develop is we, after we've read it a while, we start to leave blanks there that say things like, um, you know, at night after dinner I go into the bathroom and I brush my and we do that pregnant pause there so that a child has an opportunity to fill in teeth. And so many toddlers get so excited about that. And that is just one of the best language learning strategies. If you are not doing that as a parent or as a therapist, oh, boy, start to do that today. I mean, I use it. I do a little group on Wednesday nights at my church, and I use it with uh, my little friends, again, who aren't language delayed uh, and or who aren't identified as language delayed yet. And who who I, I see, I mean, it's just it's so effective. I saw one of my little guys. Uh, I saw him on Wednesday, and then I saw him again on Friday. And he and I used a little, I used that strategy with a little thing we were doing, and he remembered it. And it's it is such an important teaching tool. And so using these partial sentences, and you plan that where a kid can fill in the blank there. Okay, so that that's how we write the stories there. I want you to, when you're doing this as well, to think about avoiding words that are absolute and negative, words like always and never. So we want to be more general and more uh, actually gentle, more gentle. So we would use words like sometimes or usually or most of the time so that kids really, really, uh, we give them some leeway and give them a break there. We don't want to be as pushy or as demanding, you know, again, a social story is supposed to be positive uh, and emotionally safe environment there, so we want to be sure that our language is promotes that too. Even when you're dealing with things like hair pulling and biting and, you know, super, super aggressive negative behaviors, you still want to write the story in such a way that you are, that the story is not a punishment and that the story is not an indictment of a child, <laughs> that the story again, really, really presents this situation as something that you're going to work on together and that he is going to be able to make these positive changes. And and you don't want to be, you know, um, uh, you don't want to be so punitive when you write the story that you're saying, you know, I am am bad when I bite my friends. You know, don't do anything like that. Don't say anything like that. And certainly a therapist, you, you would know not to do that. But as a parent... You know, that that's a temptation to want to help your child understand the gravity of the situation. So you think, oh, I'm going to say I am a bad boy when I blah, blah, blah. Don't do that. Don't do that. We don't want to put that on a child and have them believe that about themselves. So keep it super positive. Write what the child should do. You can include examples of don't or no, but really, really it's, 
so much better to write what behavior you expect to see rather than focusing on what you don't want to see. Now, you can address negatives, but do it with those perspective sentences like, when I hit my friends, it hurts. My friends, when I hit my friends, my friends might cry or hit me back. Then I might cry because hitting hurts me too. Something like that, where you, you're addressing the negative behavior, but you're not, you know, really pinning it on that child. You're not serving as, you know, the the judge and the jury and the executioner, you know, right there. So really think about that and, and address your negatives with those perspective sentences. Now, as you're writing these stories, you want to provide really specific, simple steps. So you're going to break down a skill or a situation into those little pieces that a child can follow. And remember that all kids, especially toddlers, the younger they are, the more this is true, but they are really, really literal. And you have to include steps in a process even when you think that it's implied or understood. So when you talk about, let's say you talk about going potty, you're toilet training a child, and you're writing out a little social story to go with this, you would include every step like, Feeling the urge to go to the bathroom, you know, when I feel like I, you know, and if you're going to be really specific, and I hope this doesn't offend you with how I word this, but when I feel like I have to poop, you know, and you're, you're doing the whole, you know, I, I tell my mom, or when I feel like I need to poop, I go to the bathroom, I walk to the bathroom, and so you're being really literal, you're saying, I open the door, I go into uh, my bathroom, I stand beside my potty, I pull down my pants, and you're giving every little step along the way. Now, we've already talked about this next step, but be sure that you are including anything that a child would say as a part of the routine. And I just want to tell you how beautifully this works, especially with our little guys who are on the spectrum who like that predictable language. So many times when we've written something into a social story like, then I say, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. It, let's use the bathroom. You could say, then I say to mommy, I have to go potty. Say that exact line. So be sure that you're thinking about that and what a child would say. Or if you have a child who is not at the sentence level yet, you know, you would say, go potty or um what just potty if you had a kid who's at the single word level. So think about what language level you should be saying there. On the other hand, what I would probably do more often than not is write it just one little step above it. So if a child is using single words, I would I would include a lot of two and three word phrases. Or if he's at the two and three word phrase level, I would probably bump it up just a little bit because we know he's going to get there and that's our goal. But think about the developmental level and think about the language level and how you can incorporate where he is right now so that you don't make it too hard but that you bump it up just enough so that that really becomes therapeutic and that you're addressing that next little developmental level. A big thing with social stories when you're putting these things together, and we haven't really talked about this yet, is that when a social story is an actual real book. <laughs> so you will take pictures and you will write or type your script on the bottom of the page, and you will put it together like a real book. Now, I know that it's tempting to use it in an app format, and there are certainly tools out there that you can make social stories and read them on an iPad or read them on a phone. 
And there's nothing inherently wrong with that other than you've got that stupid screen out again. (laughs) And so I think that if you can, in almost every situation, you should really, really try to print these out and use these like a, a little book and use them as they were originally intended because it does give a child, you know, it's an introduction to literacy. So you're really working with, you know, the, a tool we're going to use the rest of our lives, a real live book, uh, and it becomes something that the child can hold, that the child can access himself. He doesn't need you to help him with the tablet, although so many of our little guys are so independent with technology, you know, almost from the get-go because they've that's what they know. You know, we've shown it to them, and they've that's a strength of theirs, so they've really, really learned it. But for the most part, you do want to go ahead and make a real book with this. Now, I like taking real pictures of the child that I'm using the book with because when a child sees his picture there, it's automatically individualized. He knows that it's about him. It becomes more important to the child because it's not, again, something abstract. It's very, very concrete. It's very literal. Lots of therapists use board maker symbols or any other kind of a picture system that they're already using. They incorporate those same kinds of things. That's just not my personal preference. I like for it to be as closely matched to reality as possible for a child. So I actually take my pictures and print them or uh, have a parent print them. And using those real-life pictures, I think, sometimes that's what makes a difference with a social story. You're not using a little symbolic board maker picture, although, again, if you have a kid who's using a device, already using an AAC device, and he's already using board maker pictures pretty well, that might be a consideration, that might be an exception, but generally, I like to use uh, as specific a picture or as individualized as I can, and, and put your book together, and again, I've seen social story books that, you know, 20, 25 pages for kids, and they work okay, Um, but more often than not, I've kept them at five or six pages tops, and then you can always add if you want to, if you think, oh, he's ready for more detail, I can make a new page in his little book. I laminate my pictures, but before, or my books for this, but before I did that, I used those clear uh, paper protectors that you can get, you know, at any kind of office supply or Walmart or wherever you buy your little school supply kind of things. And just then I could easily switch out the pictures, and a lot of times I just put them in a three-ring binder. That's kind of big that you think for a toddler, oh, boy, you know, we can't have him dragging that around. Well, yes, you can, and it does make it more durable, and it does, it is, uh, you know, big enough for a parent to remember, boy, I need to do this social story with him today. I need to be sure that we're reading this. And that leads me to my next tip here, which is practice. You've got to read the story on multiple occasions and provide opportunities for the child to hear the story and to practice the skill that we're trying to teach or really anticipate that event that's coming up. They have to know it. And, again, prior experience is the reason that we're doing the story in the first place. Another thing that you can do is if you make the book durable enough, (laughs) other people can do it with the child too. So think about who else can read this story with this child? Who else can talk about this? And so certainly if it's something that's happening at school 
as a therapist or as a parent, you're going to want to involve a teacher with that. So talk about how everybody can use the same story. And, again, it's really, really important that not only we practice and read the social story, but that we do the actual event or activity together. So you would never write a social story about getting a haircut and then not take a child to get the haircut. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. I don't know any parent who would want to go to that trouble. But be sure as a therapist when you're talking about this, if you're if you're going to the, if you're taking your intervention time to write this story, that you actually participate in the routine with the child, so that you can see as much as possible and as practically as you can how it worked, so that you can revise and adapt and do um, do your do do whatever you need to do intervention wise, so that you make sure that this was a tool that you uh, could use. All right, so there are tons of examples of social stories. And again, um, if you just do a Google search about that, you could say something like social story for whatever, a play date or social story for going to the park. You can get lots of examples for wording if that is something that you need to do. But let me just read you some of these that you might use. Something like when I go into class, and these are rules, you know, I use a quiet voice, I have quiet hands, I will follow directions, I will start and finish my work. And again, that might be a rule book for an older child, but you can certainly get an idea of the kinds of things that that you would want to do with that. All right, we are out of time. I'm going to put some links to some fabulous social stories in the post about this show at Teach Me to Talk, and so I hope that you'll check it out there. I'd hope that I would get to read you some additional stories, but again, that's going to be it for today, and so we are going to uh, let that be that, and that you you can go and get that additional information and look at some examples of some great social stories with the links uh, at Teach Me to Talk. All right, that's it for today's show. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope you'll uh, catch the next show. Have a great Great, great, great.